0: Good morning. So as Doyle said, I am a pastor of the Webster Girls Baptist Church, and every Sunday morning when I get up and say good morning to them, if they don't greet me back enthusiastically, we have to do it all over again. So let's try this again. Good morning. It is a blessing to spend this morning with you all. I want to thank Doyle, Dr. Sager. I always, you, you know me well enough that I don't like the formalities, so anytime somebody calls me Dr. Carter, I feel like I'm about to go to the principal's office. But I want to thank Doyle for allowing me this opportunity. Uh, I I respect and honor this privilege to uh, share with your people, so I want to make sure to say that publicly, and as always, I appreciate your friendship as well. Again, I bring you all greetings from Webster Girls Baptist Church, and I bring you greetings from Central Baptist Theological Seminary, where I serve on faculty and staff there as well. Uh, This is an interesting day, and I don't say that in a negative way. Um, I say that In a hopeful way, when a congregation says that we want to have a conversation about something that is different, different is probably not the right word, but when we want to have a conversation about something that's important, something that is critical to the life of the church, um, I appreciate that. So uh, I say thank you for giving me the privilege and for being here this morning and listening. With that being said, let us bow and let us pray together for just a few moments. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for life, health, and strength. We also thank you for relationships. We thank you for new friendships. We also thank you for your word. And I pray that you would speak to us today through your word, that you would not only convict us, but that you would encourage us and that we would become more like you each and every day. It is in our Savior, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 35. Peter then said, Now I am certain that God treats all people alike. God is pleased with everyone who worships him and does right, no matter what nation they come from. Amen. Tell me if you recognize these words. I see the same stars through my window that you see through yours, but... We're worlds apart. And I see the same skies through brown eyes that you see through blue, but we're worlds apart. Just like the earth, just like the sun, two worlds together are better than one. I see the sun rise in your eyes that you see in mine, but we're worlds apart. Do any of you all recognize those words? Show of hands or just a head nod, like two, three people. Thank you. Those lyrics are from the musical, Big River. Big River is based on the book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, which I'm imagining all of us have heard and read at some point. And we all know that that book was written by Mark Twain. The book and the musical chronicle the adventures of two boys, Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and a runaway slave named Jim. And it chronicles their adventures along the Mississippi River during the late 19th century. In the story, Huck has been adopted by two older women, and they are set to civilize him and to save his soul. And Huck, he only dreams of adventure, and he wants to find love. And Jim, the slave, he has a dream as well, but his dream is a little different. He dreams of equality. He dreams of freedom. He dreams of opportunity. And although they are worlds apart, they have a common hope, and that common hope is to be free. To be free of others' expectations of them and to be free of the physical confines that they both face. Now within the story, Huck and Jim encounter many questions. Questions that are generated from outside parties and questions that come from within themselves as well. Questions like, is life fair? Did God create all people to be equal? And if God did create all people to be equal, then why are some people not treated that way? Huck, the boy of adventure, also has to deal with the question of whether he's willing to be made into a civilized young man by his aunts and by the town people. And Jim also has to deal with the question, will he allow himself to be sold into slavery to another person? Will he allow himself to become the possession of another man? Will he allow himself to continue to be treated as other? Neither of these men wait for someone else to give them the answers to their questions. They both escape their circumstances, and they begin to float down the Mississippi River towards freedom, physical freedom and psychological freedom as well. Huckleberry Finn and Big River deal with questions, personal questions and corporate questions. And the most interesting question that I find in the book and in the musical is, Do we have to accept the future that someone else has planned for us and others? In a sense, Acts chapter 10 deals with these types of questions as well. Are we locked in to following older traditions? Are we locked in to someone else telling us how we should view other people? Or, with God's prompting and God's blessing, are we allowed to make a new path of what it means to live in relationship with people who are different from us? In Acts chapter 10, the central characters are forced to address this idea of being worlds apart. They are forced to deal with the idea of otherness. And I imagine that the majority of us have read this passage before, so I won't bore you by repeating all the details from the passage, but I will summarize it as succinctly and quickly as possible. In Acts chapter 10, we are introduced to a man named Cornelius, and he's a Gentile official within the oppressive Roman army. Cornelius wasn't necessarily a bad man. He actually seems to be a good man when we read Acts chapter 10. He was a God-fearer, and so were the people in his household. That means that he was of a different nation, but he believed in the same God that the Israelites believed in. He worshiped at the local synagogue. He acknowledged that the God of Israel was the one true God. He complied with Jewish customs. He even made sacrifices and offerings. He gave alms to the poor, and it's even believed that he gave money to help maintain the synagogue where everybody worshiped. But he likely was not circumcised. And so that made him a good man, but not a good enough man. Because he was not circumcised, because he was not fully Jewish or fully followed the Hebrew faith, he was considered to be other. At some point, Cornelius is visited by an angel who tells him that God has recognized his heart and God has recognized his sacrifice. His prayers to God have not been ignored. His gifts on behalf of other people have not been ignored either. God recognizes and appreciates all that he has been doing. He is pleasing to God. The angel of the Lord directs Cornelius to send men to a city named Joppa to find some dude named Peter, Simon Peter, and he isn't told why, but Cornelius complies with the angel's instructions. Now while Cornelius is at home trying to figure out what this vision means, Simon Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is sitting on a roof trying to figure out what he wants to eat for lunch. And he suddenly has a vision in which he sees the heavens open up and something like a big sheet Come down from heaven, and within that sheet are all type of animals, big animals, small animals, birds, reptiles, four-footed, hooved, all those different kinds of things. And a voice from heaven commands Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. The problem is, this is a no-no for Peter. Peter is a devout Jew, and throughout all his life, he was taught to read the right books to go the right places, to avoid the wrong people, and to not eat certain food. And to Peter, these animals are not right. They are unclean, they are defiled, they are other. But before it's all said and done, the voice tells Peter multiple times, what God has made clean, don't you dare call it common. Don't you dare call it unclean. Don't you dare call it other. As you can imagine, Peter is mystified and stunned. And why would God ask him to do something that he understood to be sin? Why would God ask him to do something other, something uncomfortable? Before he could come up with the answer, the Spirit uh, Spirit of God told him that Gentiles were coming to look for him and that he should get up and go with them. And shortly thereafter, just almost on cue, Cornelius' men arrive at that house looking for Peter. And he goes with them. Now, I don't want to gloss over this important series of events. This is a significant development in the life of this devout Jew named Peter and the Roman official named Cornelius. We have to understand that Jews didn't fraternize with Gentiles and vice versa. Cornelius represented Rome's military power and Rome's control over Peter's people. John Stott says, It is difficult for us to grasp the impassable gulf which yawned in those days between the Jews on the one hand and the Gentiles, even including God-fearers, on the other. Not that the Old Testament itself countenanced such a divide, Dr. Stott says. The tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. They became filled with racial pride and hatred. They They despised Gentiles as dogs and they developed traditions which kept them apart. And Dr. Stott ends by saying, no Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, or invite such into his home. In general, they didn't interact because they considered, as I've said before, Gentiles as others. So positive, casual interaction between Peter and Cornelius would have been unlikely under most circumstances. A devout Jew in general would have very little little to do with a Gentile at all, and having fellowship in a Gentile's house was forbidden. Yet Peter was taking the first step to do exactly that. Dr. Harry B. Adams writes, It behooves us to be sensitive to the issues with which Peter was struggling when he encountered Cornelius, because they are issues deeply rooted in the human experience. People isolate themselves from others. People find their identity within a group and fear that they will lose that identity if they do not guard their separateness. People find it difficult to relate to and associate with those who are different from themselves. Dr. Adams ends by saying people have a sense that they will lose their status within their own group if they dare to reach out to those on the outside. Do any of you all recognize that? Don't, Don't shake your head. Don't raise your hand. But Search in your own heart. Do any of you all understand what Dr. Adams was just saying? Have you ever experienced the difficulty of being in the presence or being in relationship or participating in an event or something with someone who was wholly different from you? I have to acknowledge I have. But here Peter was. He was in a Gentile's home doing the unthinkable. He was acknowledging the movement of God's hand and setting up this meeting, and both men understood that this meeting was God-ordained. And at that meeting, Peter preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ before all who were there, and something strange and unexpected happens. The scriptures say that the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard his words, and they even spoke in tongues, just like the disciples did. These other people were experiencing the same thing that Peter and the people that walked directly with Jesus experienced. This wasn't something that could be faked or something that could be made up. This came directly from God. People who were once considered unclean are now shown to be clean or to be as clean as Peter is. People who were once considered to be other are now to be considered as part of the same spiritual family. Those who Peter would look down his nose that are now to be called his brothers and sisters. And this happened not because Peter wanted it to. It happened because God said that this group of people was acceptable. And it was Peter's job to get in line with what God was thinking. That day, Peter learned that God is not a face receiver. Have any of you all heard that phrase before, face receiver? One who receives the face This is what is meant when Peter says in the King James Version that God is no respecter of persons. I believe we probably all have heard that phrase before. God is no respecter of person. God does not receive the face. Of this phrase, uh, God does not, uh, God is no respecter of person. Dr. Mitzi J. Smith writes, God is not persuaded to act for good or evil based on the outward appearance that human beings see or receive when they encounter one another. Gentiles are now officially part of the crew. They can officially be converted, they can be transferred into, they can be welcomed into, they can be included into God's family in and through Christ. And that is a powerful thing that has just occurred before Peter's eyes. Peter would never have guessed that this was going to happen in his lifetime. These outsiders just exhibited all the same qualities that he and the other disciples exhibited. But that may not be the most important part of the story, that the, uh, this household of Gentiles uh, exhibited the same kind of qualities that Peter and the disciples showed. Dr. Elizabeth Johnson says, the most astonishing thing about this story, the most astonishing thing is the conversion of Peter and his companions regarding their understanding of how God is at work. These Jewish believers understood Jesus to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. And it is not that they didn't think that Gentiles could become part of the family of faith. Jews welcome Gentile converts. But what astounds them is that the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith came to these Gentiles without them first becoming Jews. Without them being circumcised and adopting the law of Moses. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on them. uh, Dr. Johnson says the Holy Spirit has been poured out on them just as they are as Gentiles. People who at the beginning of the day were worlds apart are now spiritual brothers and sisters. Those who, like Jim and Huck Finn, who saw the same stars through different eyes and experiences, those that were worlds apart were now seeing life through the same Holy Spirit. It was all because of the truth of the gospel, the gospel message that Christ died to reconcile all of us, all people to our creator. And that is at the heart of the gospel message that Peter preached. Dr. Greg Carey says, the gospel message humbles a culture that continually debates human worth. Who is worthy to reside in our country and who isn't? Who is worthy to enjoy the assurance of medical care and who is not? To those, uh, excuse me, to whose education do we devote our best resources and who is left underserved? Who gets to be anxious that no one is protecting their drinking water and who can sleep soundly? Dr. Carey goes on and says, The gospel message is not about immigration, it's not about refugees, it's not about health care, it's not about education or public services. But Peter learns that the gospel proclamation is very much about the boundaries of God's care. Through unclean food, Peter's vision has abolished the notion of unclean people. And if we take the vision only metaphorically, we miss the point. An observant Jew responds to unclean food with disgust. But we all know the experience of disgust before certain kinds of foods, don't we? Dr. Carey asks, and he ends by saying, we also confess that we know what it's like to feel disgust towards certain people. Wow. I'm convicted by that statement. I'm very much convicted by that statement. Jim and Huck Finn and Peter and Cornelius aren't the only ones who have to deal with this issue of differing worlds or clean versus unclean. We do as well. We just call it something else. Although you may not disregard someone strictly due to their skin color, I'm willing to bet you likely disregard someone for other reasons. Dr. Warren Hoffman once said, people everywhere call somebody unclean. St. Louis calls Kansas City unclean because of the royals. St. Louis calls Chicago unclean, unclean, unclean to the 10th degree because of the Cubs and the Blackhawks. And after the thrashing they received in football yesterday, Mizzou alumni are probably calling Alabama unclean as well. Dr. Hoffman continues when he says, everyone, every nation, every race needs an other in order to know and be itself. Everyone needs an outsider in order to feel like an insider. I end this morning with a series of questions for you specifically. Who helps you feel like an insider? What person or group of people do you stand against in order to help you find your identity? We are in Jefferson City, and it's the political capital of our state. Do you find your identity by opposing people on the other side of the aisle, whatever aisle that is? I end with a final question this morning. And I hope that everyone understands that this is a positive question and not a negative one. Who is the Spirit sending you to in order to welcome them into God's body? Who is God sending you to with the gospel message so that they can know that God loves them and that they are okay? That they are not other, that they are not unclean? Dr. Johnson, Dr. Elizabeth Johnson, who I quoted a few moments ago, frames the question this way. What strangers is the spirit calling you to welcome? Do you welcome only those who are already like you or are you willing? uh, Do you only welcome those who are already like you and who want to be like you? Are those the only ones you feel comfortable with? Or are you willing to be changed for the sake of welcoming new people and new generations Are you willing to loosen your grip on long-standing, dearly held traditions that may present obstacles to welcome others to the table? I can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer it. But I pray that in the coming days and in the coming weeks and in the coming months that you, that I, will be found faithful welcoming the clean and the unclean, the familiar and the other God's table, because guess what? There's plenty of room for them there. Amen. Please bow and pray with me for just a moment. God, we are thankful and we are convicted by your word. We are thankful that your heart is big enough to accept us, but not just us, to accept others. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn from the example of your disciples. And that we would learn from the example of others who have come before us. That we do not own the right to be called your children. It is a privilege that we are blessed to share with others. And I pray that we would be found faithful sharing that with the world. In Jesus' name, amen.